This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, good evening. Thanks for joining me here on Zoomer Radio. You know, nobody could get more laughs without uttering a line. His pregnant pauses would generate gales of laughter from not only live audiences, but from those listening to his shows at home. Let me try giving you the voice that entertained millions around the world. Oh, Rochester, oh, for heaven's sakes, bring the Maxwell around to the front gate. Was that close? <laughs> Everybody who does voices loves the delivery of Jack Benny. Whether on television or radio, the format of the Jack Benny program never wavered. The program utilized a loose show-within-a-show format, wherein the main characters were playing versions of themselves. There was not really a fourth wall, per se. The show would usually open with a song by the orchestra or banter between Benny and Don Wilson. Then there'd be banter between Benny and the regulars of the news of the day or about one of the running gags in the program, such as Benny's age, Day's stupidity, or Mary's letters from her mother. Then there'd be a song by the tenor, followed by a situation comedy, Involving an event of the week, a mini-play, or a satire of a current movie. Some shows were entirely domestic sitcoms revolving around some aspect of Benny's life, like spring cleaning or a violin lesson. So let's see what develops tonight as Jack, Rochester, and Mary head to the beach. program starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Rochester, and NSA, Bob Crosby, and yours truly, Don Wolf. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, every spring, as soon as the warm weather starts in California, Jack Benny and his gang take a day off and go out to the beach. As we look in on Jack's home, he and Rochester are preparing for this annual picnic. Rochester, have you got everything? I think so, boss. Towels, bathing caps, suntan oil. Uh-huh. Did you pack enough lunch? I put in some sandwiches, potato salad, pickles, celery, olives, and 60 hard-boiled eggs. 60? <laughs> How come we've got so many hard-boiled eggs? Don't you remember you were faster than any of the kids on Easter morning? <laughs> oh, yes. I guess I was pretty lucky. Now, Rochester, I wonder if we should fill the thermos bottle with orangeade or lemonade. I'd suggest lemonade. That'll mix with anything. Look, we're just going to have soft drinks. If I take a long soft drink, it's not going to be used as a mixer. It's not? No. Okay, but when the musicians find out it's just plain lemonade, you're going to have another riot in cell block 11. <laughs> you needn't worry about that, Rochester. The musicians aren't coming this time. They'll be just my gang and the kids from the Beverly Hills Beavers Club. <laughs> <laughs> 
Boss, you've been running that Beavers Club a long time, haven't you? Yes, sir. The club remains the same, but the kids come and go. Mr. Bang, do you ever hear from any of the original members? Yep. One of them, Vice President Nixon now. <laughs> I'm ever in Washington, I must look him up. He left owing 15 cents and dues. <laughs> now, Rochester, I want to take along my swim fins and diving mask so I can practice spear fishing. Maybe you'd like to try it out this afternoon. No, thanks. I don't want to go down there. I might run into a shark or an octopus. You mean if you had your knife and your spear, you'd still be afraid of an octopus? Yes, sir. Why? Oh, there's something romantic about having two arms around you. But the mood changes as the number increases. <laughs> Look, Rochester, there's nothing to be afraid of. An octopus always gives warning by putting out an ink-like fluid. Yeah, but it would just be my luck to run into one of those paper-made kind that's leak-proof. <laughs> now, that's silly. Silly or not, I don't want anything to do with any octopuses. All right, Rochester, but for your information, the plural, the plural of octopus is not octopuses. It's octopi. Uh-huh. You shouldn't be afraid of them. They're completely dumb, unintelligent creatures. Uh-huh. They have no reasoning powers at all. They operate completely on instinct. Uh-huh. Believe me, Rochester, they're more afraid of you than you are of them. You sold me, boss, but who's going to sell the octopi? <laughs> Do you ever have octopi a la mold? <laughs> <laughs> the silliest thing I ever thought of. I just thought of it. <laughs> Look, Rochester, forget it. You finish the packing. I'm going to call Bob Crosby and see if he's ready to go to the picnic. I don't know why I bothered to tell Rochester that the plural of octopus is octopi. He isn't going to hang around for more than one anyway. <laughs> I don't know why he's so... Hello. Hello, Bob. Oh, Bob, this is Jack. What time do you want to leave? Well, it's uh, 11 now. I'd like to get going before noon. Okay, then you pick me up. So long. Bye. Who was it, Bob? Well, that was Jack. He wanted to know if we were ready. Well, I've got everything packed. Good. And June, I think I'll take along an extra pair of swimming trunks for Jack. You know, I don't want him to embarrass everybody like he did in Palm Springs. Oh, well, Bob, that wasn't altogether Jack's fault. Don't you remember? He forgot his and had to borrow one. Well, all right. So he borrowed a suit from Mary. But did he have to wear the top? <laughs> Oh. And not only that, honey, but you should have heard him trying to explain his tan to the boys in the steam room. By the way, Bob, who's going to the beach? Oh, Jack's taking the beavers and the whole gang. Oh, is Dennis Day coming again? Yeah. 
Oh, uh, you're not still mad at him from last year, are you? Certainly I am. What a stupid kid. Yeah, but Junie, he did... Imagine him coming up to me and saying, the last one in the water is a rotten egg. I was in over my head before I realized I still had my clothes on. (laughs) It was awful. Oh, Dennis is always pulling that trick. Well, if I'm going to pick Jack up in my car, I better call Don Wilson and ask him to pick Dennis up. just called. You're supposed to pick up Dennis. Okay, I'll be out in a second, Loss. I'm trying on my new bathing suit. Well, hurry, dear. I've got the lunch pack, the towels, and everything else. Well, here I am. How do I look? Oh, they look fine. Turn around. Okay. These are Catalina swim trunks. I know. From the back, you look like Avalon. <laughs> Dear, you should go on a diet. Oh, but, Lois, you know I've tried everything to lose weight. I even went to that psychiatrist last week. He gave me every kind of test. Then he said my tendency toward obesity was caused by my psychosomatic obsessions, which might be terminated by prefrontal lobotomy, provided my alter ego repressed my subconscious foreseen tendencies. My goodness. What does that mean? I eat like a pig. You do overeat, Don. And not only is it making you heavy, but it's wearing out your teeth. <laughs> you really ought to do... Well, now, who can that be? Probably the sportsman quartet. They're going to ride to the beach with us. Hi, fellas. Mm-hmm. You all ready to go to the beach? By the sea, by the sea, by the beautiful sea. You and I, you and I, oh, how happy we'll be. When each wave comes a-rolling in, we will duck or swim. And we'll float and fool around the water, over and under and then up for air. With a small dab of blue, Benny won't lose his hair. We love to be beside your side, beside the sea, beside the seaside, by the beautiful sea. Dismal beach, dismal beach, that's where we want to be. With the nail and the nest, L-S-M-F-F-T. Round and firm and so fully packed. Yes, sir, it's a fact. That a lucky strike is better tasting. Light up a lucky, then pop and compare. See how well it is made, and we know you'll declare. I have the smoke, I like a better tasting lucky strike. Beside me, by the beautiful sea. Beside the seaside, by the beautiful sea. Rochester, carry all the stuff out in front of the house so we'll be ready as soon as Bob Crosby comes by. Okay. By the way, Mr. Benny, you know you said I could have tonight off. Not like to go to the movies. That's right. What about her? Well, yesterday was payday and you forgot to pay me. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry about that, Rochester. I'll write you out a check right now. You think they can cash it at the movie? Boss, they can cash my check at the popcorn stand. <laughs> Never mind. Now, let's get this stuff out in front of the house, and I'll help you. 
all of it. That's it. Now, let's pile it all up here by the curb. Do we have everything, Rochester? Let's see what's here. The thermos jug, lunch basket, plates, towels, extra bathing suits. Then we got the bathing caps, the swim fins, surfboard, beach umbrella. Portable stove, coffee pot, and beach chairs. Yeah. She'd makes quite a pile here on the sidewalk. Stop being a very beating you. <laughs> Why, Mr. Kitsa! Mr. Kitzel, I'm not being evicted. We're just preparing to go to the beach. Ooh, that sounds pleasant. <laughs> yeah, why don't you join us? Oh, this I'd love to do, but I'm on my way to the baseball game, and I'd rather watch a baseball game than anything else. Oh, I didn't know you were a baseball fan. A fan? I used to play professionally. No kidding. What position did you play? Pitcher. I was known as Christy Kitzel. <laughs> Well, I'll be... So you were a baseball pitcher. You know, I'm surprised you never heard of me. In my last game, I established a record. I pitched a no-hitter. A no-hitter? Yes. Gosh, that's wonderful. What was the score? 26 to nothing. We lost. <laughs> you lost? But, yes. Mr. Kitson, you said you pitched a no-hitter. I did, but who, 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 who did I walk them? <laughs> Well, I suppose you gave up the idea of being a pitcher. Definitely did. I became an outfielder. A good one, I hope. Huh? Pretty, pretty good. Uh, <laughs> As a matter of fact, Mr. Benny, many years ago, Joe DiMaggio and I tried out for the same position with the Yankees. Oh, it's a shame Joe DiMaggio beat you out. Yes, you should see what I married. <laughs> By the way, Mr. Kitzer, you, you know, you mentioned your wife so many times, and yet you've never told me her name. What is your wife's name? Marilyn, but there the resemblance ends. <laughs> you know, Mr. Kitzer, you're always talking about your wife being homely. Yeah. If your wife is so homely, why did you marry her? Who am I, Robert Taylor? <laughs> Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Well, I got to dash along to the baseball game. I don't want to be late. Goodbye, Mr. Benny. Goodbye, Mr. Kitzel. Goodbye. Gee, I'm sorry he couldn't come to the beach with us. Yeah, he's always a lot of fun. Say, Mr. Benny, who are the kids from the Beavers going to the beach with? Well, they're going to meet over at Dennis's house, and Don Wilson is picking them all up. Gee, I hope the kids won't be late. Let's hurry. Yeah, I don't want to be late on my first outing with the beavers. Don't worry, Tiger, we won't. Gosh, it was awful nice of Mr. Benny to plan this day at the beach for us. Yeah, we're lucky kids. Having a great man like Mr. Benny coaches. He's a champion at everything. Maybe today at the beach will teach me to swim. Is Mr. Benny a good swimmer? He's the best swimmer in the whole world. He told us he even swam the English Channel. <laughs> 
So what? Lots of people that swam the English Channel. Underwater? <laughs> Did Mr. Benny tell you that? Sure, he's told us lots of things. Like, like during his college days when he was at Yale. He defeated the entire Harvard swimming team all by himself. Gee, if he was that good when he was young, why didn't he get on our Olympic team? I don't know. I guess they just didn't have Olympics in those days. <laughs> I can't believe that Mr. Benny is such a fast swimmer. Remember, we saw him swimming in his pool the other day, and he looked awful slow. Well, it's hard to swim with all your clothes on. <laughs> Why was Mr. Benny in the pool with his clothes on? Dennis Day came over to him and yelled, Last what is a rotten egg! <laughs> you know, I told my father about Mr. Benny teaching Johnny Weissmuller to swim, and Dad said he probably also taught him to talk to you. Why? Did your father ever hear Mr. Benny scream like that? Oh, sure, lots of times. What does your father do? Oh, he works for the income tax department. <laughs> weren't going to let me go today until I told them we had a grown-up going with us. Yeah, and they don't have to worry. Mr. Benny takes real good care of us when we go to the beach. He sees that we behave and that we don't play too rough and that we never eat anything that might make us sick. Yeah. Only today I kind of wish he'd let me take a chance and buy a Frankfurter at one of the stands. Me too. I'm tired of those peanut butter sandwiches he always brings. And they cost more than hot dogs, too. <laughs> yeah. So we better walk a little faster. We don't want to be late getting to Dennis Day's house. for you. Oh, thank you, Mother. Now, have you got everything else? Uh, yes, Mother. My swimming trunks, towel, and my beach umbrella. Good. Remember what I told you. I want you to sit in the shade of the umbrella all the time. Must I, Mother? Yes, Dennis. Enough people are saying you've been out in the sun too long already. <laughs> and that reminds me. Do you have enough suntan oil? Oh, yes. I've got a whole bottle. Good. And this time, remember, rub it on. Don't drink it. Okay. Gee, Mother, I do wish you were coming to the beach with us. I do, too. Mainly out of curiosity. You know, I've never seen Benny in a bathing suit. He must be awfully thin. Yeah. When he puts on a bathing cap, he looks like a plumber's friend. ready to go now. You know, Mother, I remember once you and Dad took me to the beach when I was a little boy. Remember the fun we had? Uh-huh. And remember the games we played? Yes. Remember how we buried you in the sand? Yeah, and the next day the cop made you come back and dig me up again. <laughs> yes. That's how the expression first started. Oh? What expression? Dig that crazy kid. <laughs> Look, Dennis. You still have some time before Don Wilson gets here. Why don't you sing a song for me? All right, Mother. I'll do the one I'm going to do on Mr. Benny's show next Sunday.
Santo Mare, quando è bello, spirando tendimente, con il cuore che ti amente, cascedato fai suonare. Guarda qua chi su giardino, Siente si se sciura range, nu profuma così fino, sinto core se ne va, e tu dici parta Dio, allontana la su core. before it gets too dark. Hey, what a clear day. You can see all the way up to Catalina. There's Avalon. That's Don Wilson. <laughs> Don, don't float out too far. I won't. Gee, Mr. Benny, this picnic is real fun. Only you should have invited more girls. Well, who, for instance? Well, the two CBS telephone operators. Gee, I didn't think of them. No, they came along last year. They're real fun, too. Especially that Mabel Flap saddle. Yeah. yeah, every time you threw that stick in the water, she'd bring it back in her teeth. Yeah, and the money she'd save on towels, she'd always shake herself dry. All right, now. Come on, everybody. Out of the water. Out of the water, everybody. Oh, boy, Come let's on. start a fire. Let's start a fire. I'm hungry. I brought a ball in bed. Why don't we play some baseball first to dry off? Hey, that's a good idea. Now, the Beavers and I will play baseball. I'll play against the rest of you guys. Okay, we'll be up first. Junior, you be the umpire. Okay, Bob. 
All right. All right, Beavers. Get out in the field. I'll pitch. I'll bat first. I'm ready, Jack. Come on, Mr. Benny. Put it right over the plate. Okay. Here goes. Ball one. Hmm. Come on, Mr. Benny. Put it right over the plate. Ball two. Hmm. Mr. Benny. <laughs> Mr. Benny, put it right over the plate. Okay. Mr. Benny, this time see if you can reach the place. Don't worry, Harry. I'm just warming up. Here goes. I've got it. I've got it. Ooh. Ooh, now I bet I'll have a black eye. Wait till I tell my mom about this. It'll make her Mother's Day perfect. <laughs> oh, don't be so smart. And that's enough baseball for now. Let's all get dressed, and then we'll start the fire. Okay, everybody bring all that driftwood here and pile it in the center. Now, I'll start the fire. I got the matches. Hey, but Jack, we just got wood, no paper to start it with. Hmm, that's right. Look around for some paper, kids. Hey, we can start it with this. I just found some dry seaweed. Dennis, give me that. It slipped off my head. <laughs> now go find some paper. I found a bunch, Mr. Benny. Here you are. Oh, thanks, Harry. Now put the wood over it. Now light it. Boy, the fire will be going in just a few minutes, so get your marshmallows ready. Hey, wait a minute, fellas. Who's this man coming toward us? Where? Oh, yeah. Well, well, what's going on here? Are you fellas having a picnic? <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, that ain't much of a fire you got there. Hmm. Uh, you'll never cook anything on that. Look, mister. You're supposed to cross the sticks when you build a fire and leave room for the air under there. Look, don't tell me how to build a fire. I used to be a boy scout. With that seaweed on your head, you look like Father Neptune. <laughs> look, fellas, this is a private party. Mr. Benny, I can get rid of him. Dennis, keep out of this. Now, mister, why don't you go away and leave us alone? What's the matter? It's a free beach. I can go wherever I want to. <laughs> Mr. Benny, I I'm sure I can get rid of him. Well, all right, Dennis. Go ahead and try. Okay. Last one in is a rotten egg. of all forest fires each year are man-caused. A campfire that is almost out, a lighted match or cigarette that is tossed away, 
could burst into hungry flames and destroy millions of acres of vitally needed timberland. So when you're in the country, be absolutely sure you put out every fire, every match, every cigarette completely out. Remember, only you can prevent forest fires. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes another program. And we'll be... Now, there's the phone. Excuse me. Hello? Oh, hello, Mary. Oh, you heard from your mother? Oh, she got the flowers I wired her yesterday for Mother's Day. Good. Was she surprised when the Western Union boy brought them to the door? Oh, she's the Western Union boy. Well, I'm glad she got them. Goodbye, Mary. A happy Mother's Day, everybody. The Jack Benny program is written by Sam Perrin, Milt Josephsburg, George Balzer, John Tackerberry, Al Gordon, Al Goldman, and produced and transcribed by Hilliard Marks. Some closing thoughts on one of the regulars of the Jack Benny Show. Although Eddie Anderson's Rochester may be considered a stereotype by some, his attitudes were unusually sardonic for such a role. And Benny treats him as an equal, not as a servant. In many routines, Rochester gets the better of Benny, often pricking his boss's ego or simply outwitting him. The show's portrayal of black characters could be seen as advanced for its time. And he's portrayed as a well-educated and articulate man, not as a typical darky stereotype seen in many films of the time. Black talent was also showcased with several guest appearances by the Ink Spots and others. Stay tuned for Scary Radio as we bring you Lights Out next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Ready for a little horror and supernatural goings-on? Well, you've come to the right spot in the dial. The scene is Chicago, 1934. Created by Willis Cooper, Lights Out capitalized on the idea of offering listeners a dramatic, spine-tingling tale to hit their airwaves around the witching hour. Cooper's run was characterized by grisly stories spiked with dark tongue-in-cheek humor. A character might be buried, eaten, or skinned alive, vaporized in a ladle of white-hot steel, or have his arm torn off by a giant slurping amoeba, or forced to endure torture, beating, or decapitation. Uh, well, I think you get the picture. How successful was the writing and acting with Lights Out? Well, by the time Cooper left, the series had inspired about 600 fan clubs. So reach for the light switch and be prepared to be taken somewhere dark and scary. Lights. Out. Everybody. It is later than you think. Lights Out brings you stories of the supernatural and the supernormal 
dramatizing the fantasies and the mysteries of the unknown. We tell you this frankly, so if you wish to avoid the excitement and tension of these imaginative plays, we urge you calmly, but sincerely, to turn off your radio now. This is Arch Obler. For Ironized Yeast tonight, a story of that still, small voice which civilized men call conscience. And now, lights out, everybody. Keep moving along, ladies and gentlemen. Keep moving. There ain't no life on here. Keep moving. Hi, officer. What's going on in the hall? What's the blooming attraction? Read the signs, my man. Read the signs. Huh? Oh. The great Peter Stransky, world-famous explorer, appearing in person in lecture on headhunters of the Amazon. Go, brother. Now, move along, fella. Move along. Oh, no, officer. Will you tell a bloke what that headhunting is referring to? Who's on today? Now, look here, you're obstructing traffic. It's lecturing the man. is lecturing on these Eden tribes that aren't their neighbors' heads. Now, move along, man. Move along, or I'll take you in. And now, ladies and gentlemen, now you know the story of these strange motion pictures I have shown you this evening. For the first time in history, motion pictures taken of the lower Brazilian region. Someday soon, I hope to return to Brazil and bring back more cinematic records of the customs of these almost legendary savages, including actual specimens of heads and bodies taken and preserved in their bloodthirsty wars. When that day comes, I hope you will be as kind to me as you have been this evening. And so, good night until we meet again. Excellent lecture, Stransky. Excellent. Yes. It went very well indeed. Complete sellout. That headhunting theme meant excellent publicity in all the papers, you know. Yes, yes, of course. Now, if you'll pardon me, my wife... Oh, but my dear Stransky, autograph. They paid to listen to my lecturing and see my motion pictures, not to get my autograph. I'm sorry, my wife, she will be waiting oh, and I... come, come, don't worry about her. She'll... she's well taken care of. Eh? What are you talking about? I just passed her backstage, and she had a handsome young gentleman having quite a tete-a-tete, don't you know? You will pardon me. Oh, oh, no, John. Oh, Oh, come now, Ellen, you must do it. Oh, but, John, that's ridiculous. Who ever heard of such a silly thing? I did, and that's why I'm telling it to you. Well, I won't listen to another word. I really won't. Oh, yes, you will. No, I won't. (laughs) If I might be so bold as to interrupt. Oh, Oh, Peter, it's you. I'm sorry to interrupt your most interesting conversation, my dear wife, but we must go. But, Peter, we... Come, I said. The automobile is waiting. But I... Very well, Peter. Good night, John. Good night, Ellen. Come. Get into the car, Ellen. Why don't you say something, Peter? Yes. Yes, I will say something. This. Well, why don't you speak? Why don't you cry? I wouldn't give you the satisfaction. So, you save your tears for him, too. Say something. I'm leaving you, Peter. Leaving me? What are you talking about? I spoke clearly enough. I'm leaving you. Don't be a fool. I'm trying not to be. That's why I'm leaving you. 
I should have done it a long time ago. You'll go to him. No, I'm going to divorce you first, Peter. Divorce? I won't have any difficulty about that, I'm sure. No, never a divorce me, never. You'll have no choice. Please stop the car. Yes. Goodbye. Ellen. I'm sorry for you, Peter. No. I'm sorry for you. And him. Come in, Ellen. Come in. And you too, young man. What do you want of us, Peter? It was very kind of you two to come here and join me tonight. You said it was important, Strensky. What is it? Oh, have a chair. Sit down. There is no hurry. Well, John and I, we're on our way to the theater. If you don't mind, Peter, tell us what you want. I want little. We have come to what the novelist would call the parting of the ways. As civilized human beings, we sit down. I, the husband, you, the wife, and you, young man, the shall I say, favored one, to discuss our welfare. I'm sorry it worked out this way, Peter. I... <laughs> this life, perhaps the fault was largely mine. I was not a very good husband. You're acting very decently about all this, Mr. Strinsky. All I can say is uh, I love Ellen very much. And you love him, Ellen? Yes, Peter. If we could arrange matters quickly, I mean the divorce and all that sort of thing. Of course. I just said we are together like civilized human beings. And now, if you will excuse me, I will close the door. The servants, you know. He's acting surprisingly well about it all, Ellen. I'm not so sure, John. So, now what I have to say, I say in complete privacy. Peter, just why did you want John and me here? Yes. We should come to the point. You and I, Ellen, I... Suppose there is no use talking about us anymore, is there? No. So, all right, I will be a gentleman. I will withdraw as gracefully as my clumsy self will permit. First, then, we will sign the papers. Papers? I want you to waive dower rights. Oh, just as you wish. Excellent. So here is the legal form as drawn up by my solicitor. I assure you, it's quite an order. You will sign first, young man. Me? Yes, yes, as a... Witness, you understand? Oh, very well, my, my pen. No, 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 use this one, please. Here. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. Well, John, what's the matter? Oh, nothing, just a scratch, the, the pen point. Oh, I'm so clumsy. John, Oh, I... it's nothing, really. See, the pen point hardly broke the skin. <laughs> yes, but it did break the skin. Oh, yes, John, you see a drop of blood. Oh, it's nothing at all, just a scratch, unimportant. <laughs> Why did you laugh like that, Peter? He said unimportant, and yet it is the most important scratch your young man has ever known. How's that? What do you mean, Peter? What, what's wrong? You feel something, John? What? A constriction between the eyes, perhaps? Peter. Or maybe a strange pounding of the heart? Peter! Peter, or what perhaps, you John, your vision blurs. You hear strange sounds in your ears. A great lover? Peter, answer me. What have you done? John, are, are you all right? Tell me, are you all right? I, I don't know. My head is so strange. No. I John, what think is I'll it? sit down. Peter, what's wrong with him? What's wrong? <laughs> John. John, what do you... Your, your lips... You cannot speak, can you, John? If you open your mouth, the words will be your last. A great lover? Peter, tell me. Tell me, have you done something to him? Have you? John, look at me, darling. Speak to me. Tell me what's the matter. Yes. John. Yes, speak, John. Eleanor, I... 
John! Peter, help me. He's fallen. Peter, help me. Help me. Help you? But, John, look at him. Look at him. He's ill, uh, dying. Doctor, get a doctor. Not a doctor, my little wife. Doctors cannot restore even great lovers after the poison of Baracata has entered the veins. Poison? That pen! That scratch! Ellen, you must... So, the thought of your lover's death draws the blood from your head and you faint, eh, my little wife? When you awaken, you will wish that you died with him. again. My arm. You are bound in a chair. It is most discourteous of me, I know, but then, as you may remember, I always was a barbarian. John. John. You will keep your voice down. John. You've got to tell me. Where is he? Why am I down here? John's not there. He can't be dead. There on that table, under the sheet. Not John. Yes, John. John, you've killed him. Let me loose. Let me go to him. Stop that. John. Stop making that noise, you mad woman. Stop it. Stop it, I say. Uh, All right, I'll stop you then. uh, I'll stop you. uh, All right. Yeah, my little wife, scream, yell, rave all you want. This gag over your mouth serves its purpose well. Go on, go on, you amuse me. So, now you have discovered it is useless to talk to the gag, eh, Ellen? It is such a waste of effort, is it not? So now that you are silent, I can go on with my work. Most important work. Yes, you were right about what was on this table here. See? I throw off the sheet. (laughs) And he was such a handsome man. Well, I must get to work. Ah, You no longer try to speak, my little Ellen. Does the sight of these beautiful surgical instruments frighten you? They need not. They're not for you. They are for John. Yes, yes, he is dead. Dead. The poison, too quickly, but do you think I would let him rest in death? Oh, no. I loved you, Ellen, and as I loved you, I hate you. Watch closely. What? I'm sorry, I cannot understand you. Oh. You ask me what I'm going to do. The knives, sharp knives, you see them? No, they are not to dismember your precious John. Flesh buried, decays, and is gone. I want your dear John with me for a long time. Again, you ask the question. I'm trying so hard to explain. He's dead, and he will be dead. But in his death, he will serve a purpose. 
You remember I told you my savage Brazilian friends, the Yavaros, have a quaint custom of shrinking and preserving the bodies of their enemies. Well, I studied their methods most carefully. John Douglas was my enemy. Here he lies. And I will do with him as the Yavaros do with their enemies. So, now you understand. When I'm through with him, your lover will be a little leathery-skinned man, a doll-like in size, a trophy for my trophy room. Who will suspect that in that little leathery doll-like figure is the body of an Englishman? And so he will amuse me in his death. Yes. And you will sit there, my little wife. You will sit in that chair for the many days it will take me to prepare the carcass. You will sit and watch me day after day as with smoke and with heat I make the strong body of your lover smaller and smaller. You will sit there. Fire is warm, hell. Warm, so very warm. The air filled with smoke. Dry, swirling smoke. See how it coils around him. At first, how often you cried out when I talked like this, but now you are silent. Weeks. How many weeks has it been? Four, five, six used to take my savage friends ten weeks to dry and cure the bodies of their enemies. Ten weeks. And I... I have done it in five. Look at him. Six foot strong and broad he was, but now... a doll in size, a small brown doll. Oh, what weary days they've been filling the body full of sand and slowly turning, turning in the smoke and the heat, not too quickly not too slowly, not too close to the flames and now the man that was John Douglas a doll a brown doll of death the flames are noisy noisy as you are silent little Ellen you are... Oh, I hadn't noticed. Your eyes are closed. Wake up. Wake up! Wake up, I say. You've got to look at him. Your eyes have got to see him. You've got to see him. Oh, you're speaking. I cannot understand you. The, the gag, yes. Yes, I will take it off. Sitting there all these weeks, you haven't got the strength. There. There, that does it. Your lips are free. Well, look at him, Helen. Look at him and tell me what you think of John Douglas now. Helen, stop. Stop, you hear? Understand? You must understand. Smoke, you awake from Smoke, smoke, smoke. What are you raving about? Yeah, smoke. The earth around him. No. No, stop talking like that. Stop talking like that, I say. The knife. Where is the knife? I'll stop you. No. Ellen, I... All right. Dead. Up 
on the table with you. I must prepare you, Ellen, for the smoke and the fire. Took me five weeks with him and now five more weeks with you. And then you will be as he is. Brown with the smoke of the curing fire. A little doll in size. The Kayans of Borneo and the Celebes are not the only savage tribes which indulged in this most curious pastime of collecting human heads as trophies. In my travels in far-off places, I have come across at least 20 other races who participate in this strange custom. Let's get out of here, Mamie. Weather means as dry as dust. Oh, but who cares about head-hunting men and the likes of that? Let's get out of here and go to a cinema. Squat. Oh, all right, all right. They went raiding and killing their enemies, generally in nocturnal surprises. These savages severed the heads of the dead and returned with them to their villages. Members of the tribe believe their rank in the next world depends upon the number of heads secured. But, unquestionably, the most curious custom is found among the Yavaros of South America, who not only sever the heads of their enemies, but also are known to shrink the bodies of the dead until they are small, almost doll-like in size. These bodies are kept in the large huts and treasured highly. And now, ladies and gentlemen, I have a surprise for you. In my recent trip to South America and my visit to the Yavaros, at great personal risk, I was able to procure two of the macabre specimens. Yes. Yes, I have here in this trunk the shrunken bodies of two full-sized human beings. That is, at one time they were full-sized, but now, now they are the size of large dolls. A man and a woman, ladies and gentlemen, perfectly preserved. The only specimens of their kind in existence outside of the sultry jungles of South America. Never before have they been seen or displayed upon the lecture platform, but tonight I am going to show them to you. Now you make your public debut, my two beauties. Ellen and John, the new sensation of the lecture stage. Ladies and gentlemen, if you please, if you please, Presenting two perfect specimens, the only ones of their kind, of the secret process which enables the savages of the jungles of South America to reduce their enemies to doll-like size. Here we have a living man, about six foot in size during his lifetime, now reduced to midget size. And likewise, here a woman, once a living, breathing individual like you and you and you, now this horrible trophy of the curer's eye. You see, Ellen and John, they like you. You are a success. <laughs> a huge success. You... You're talking. You... No. No, you cannot talk. Dad, you cannot talk. No. You cannot talk to death, you both of you dead! Stop! 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 
sure, Captain, it's a strange passenger we got aboard this time, I must say. Oh, you mean Stransky? Aye, strange he is, mate. But what's he running away from, sir? Oh, sure, mate, that ain't a proper question to be asking of a man when he lays as many pound notes on the table as that man did for this passage. <laughs> Get me out of England tonight, he said. <laughs> and get him out of England, I did. Now, could he be one of them embezzlers? Oh, aye, that he might. The trunk he was carrying, well, he wouldn't let any of the men lay a hand on it. He brought it down to the cabin himself. I'd like to get a look in it. Aye, and so would I. But he stays in that cabin of his all the time. He's down there now, and I'll bet he's looking in that trunk this very The cabin door is locked. No one can come in when the door is locked. It's going to stay locked until we get there. South America, they won't get me there. No one will get me there. Why did I run away? What's the matter with me? No one heard them but I. No one in the audience but I. They're in that trunk there. The two of them. Why don't I find out now if no one heard them but I? Why don't I? For sure. Yes, I must. No, they couldn't have talked, not they. The two of you lying there. You didn't talk, did you? No. No, of course you didn't. You're dead. You're more than dead. Hollow flesh shrunk by the smoke of heat until you're smoky little dolls. Aaron and John, I'm free of you forever. Forever. You, Alan, thing that was Alan, why don't you say something? <gasps> again, I heard you again, the two of you, I heard you. No. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it, you little things. You can't speak. You're dead, burned in the flames. Stop it. All right, I'll stop you. I'll stop you. Into the sea. I'll throw you into the sea. Come, you and you. I've got you in my hand. I'll throw you into the sea. First, you, Ellen. Into the water. There. And now you, John. Into the sea. The sea will stop that tongue of yours. There. Now I'm through with you. Through with you. The water will stop your mouth. It stopped it. And free of you forever. The two of you forever. Huh? What's the matter? What's the matter? Uh, the, the matter? Oh, what do you mean, Captain? Nothing is the matter. Well, I thought I saw you throw something in the water. In fact, I'm sure of it. Oh, the, just some old things. Yes, that's it. Some old things I didn't want. Oh, oh, I see. Well, as long as everything's all right. Yes, yes, yes. Everything's all right. Uh, no. No. It is a weird night, isn't it? Weird? Why do you say that, man? Yeah, it's so dark. No moon, not a star in the sky. It's like we were sailing at the black of a tomb without even candlelight to lead us. You know, if I was a superstitious... What in the devil's name is that? What? What are you talking about? There, to starboard, see? Two lights. <laughs> Take it what lights are those. They're coming closer. Our ship lights? No, that can't be. Why, I've sailed these waters for it's 15 they. years. It's they. What? The two of them, their faces, see them gleaming faces. Helen, John, get back. Back to the water I threw you in. Back. Rinsky, what's back. come over you? Back. Stop leaning over the rain. You'll fall in, you'll fall in, man. Look out! Come 
Help! I fell in! Help me! Here! I'm here! Save me! Save me! Yes, I'll stay afloat. They'll save me. I won't die. I won't. They'll save me. No, Peter. Huh? Take his other arm, Evan. I have his leg. No. Let go of me. Let go. Come, Stransky. Join us. No. Stop. Alan, John, the two of you, stop. You're pulling me under. Drowning me. Drowning me. No. Robler. Well, Mr. Martin, what are you looking for tonight? Rationalization, morals? For, of course, the moral of tonight's story is a healthy and a hopeful one. That evil is its own undoing. That reminds me, Frank, outside of Hitler, Hirohito, and company, have you a nomination for the evilest man of the year? Well, leaving Hitler and his fang-toothed friend out of it sort of restricts me, doesn't it? <laughs> no, because... Anyone who thinks that evil is impersonated only by the militarist is quite naive. And now, what about this Mr. Evil of 1943? Well, I'd like to tell you about the evil now. I feel like it, but I'm going to tell about him in a play called Murder Castle. Yes, Mr. Evil of 1943. It takes place, as usual, at a time called next week. Yes. Tune in next Tuesday again for Arch Obler's eerie story, Murder Castle. It is later than you think. Thanks for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Abbott and Costello, followed by The Shadow. Zoomer Radio, AM 740, thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer of Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.